Welcome to the Refine Your Health podcast with Dr. Dion. I'm a primary care physician, and now I can happily add podcaster. Tune in to each episode to hear great information on improving health outcomes, disease prevention, and overall community health advocacy. Thanks for listening. Now let's jump into today's episode to improve your health. Hello, listeners. This is your host, Dr. Dion, and thanks for checking out this episode of Refine Your Health. First, I'd like to start off by thanking all of my loyal listeners who have subscribed to the podcast. And the podcast has grown significantly because of your dedication to make sure that you're putting your health first. And for those of you who have yet to subscribe to the podcast, I would encourage you to do so. So let's jump right into the topic for this episode. And that is what is multiple myeloma? And you may be wondering, why did I decide to discuss this particular topic? And the reason is, number one, it's not discussed or known by a majority of the general population. And one of the reasons for me starting this podcast was due to addressing healthcare disparities that impact certain populations more than the other. And so I wanted to just expound a little bit more on this subject. So just to educate everyone more about this condition. What is multiple myeloma? It is the cancer of plasma cells. And for those of you who have checked out previous episodes that I've done regarding cancer diagnosis, you know that cancer is when cells grow out of control. And in this case, as it relates to multiple myeloma is when plasma cells grow out of control. So the next thing is, what are plasma cells? Plasma cells are found in the bone marrow. And the bone marrow is as simple as it sounds, is located in the bone. And Bone marrow houses the cells such as red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. So red blood cells function as the oxygen carriers of the body. So they're responsible for supplying blood to the rest of the body and release oxygen, as well as you have white blood cells, which are basically what I consider the fighter cells of the body, where they produce antibodies that help fight off infection and other diseases. Then you have what we call platelets, which are the cells that are used to clot blood in the body. To say, for example, if you were to cut yourself, these are the cells that are used to help stop the bleeding. So in the sense of, as it relates to plasma cells, these cells are part of the white blood cells, are better known as lymphocytes. And so, like I mentioned earlier, white blood cells are fighter cells of the body, which fight off infection and other diseases. And there are two types of white blood cells that exist, the T cells and the B cells. In the case of multiple myeloma, B cells respond to infection and they mature into what we call plasma cells. And these plasma cells make antibodies or protein, which help fight off infection and kills germs. Now, when these plasma cells become cancerous and grow out of control and make abnormal antibodies or proteins, and in this case, better known as M-protein or monoclonal protein, or another name that it may go by, M-spike or paraprotein, then it develops into the condition of multiple myeloma. Now, there are other disorders of plasma cells, But for this episode, we're going to focus on active multiple myeloma. Now, the other disorders of plasma cells that you may hear about is called smoldering multiple myeloma, solitary plastocytoma, monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance or MGUS or light chain amyloidosis. But like I said, for this episode, we're just going to focus on active multiple myeloma, which is the most common type of multiple myeloma. 
So some of you may be wondering what causes multiple myeloma. In most cases, most scientists don't understand what causes it, but they have noticed a pattern of certain risk factors that places individuals at increased risk for developing multiple myeloma. Some of these risk factors are age, which is the most significant risk factor because multiple myeloma rarely occurs in individuals younger than the age of 45 years of age. It's more common in men greater than women, and it is twice as common in African-Americans than whites. And a statistic that I came across looking at the CDC website for the new case diagnosis for multiple myeloma, it occurs in 13 individuals for every 100,000 in African-Americans compared to six individuals for every 100,000 in the Caucasian population. There's no information on why this is the case in the African-American community, but there's ongoing research looking into this issue. Also, if you're obese or overweight, increases your risk. Now, genetics may play a role, such as a family history of having multiple myeloma or cancers in the family. In addition, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned as it relates to these risk factors, the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation states that Multiple myeloma is the most common blood cancer in African-Americans. However, it's the second most common blood cancer in the general population. And the average age of diagnosis is 69 for the general population, but it's an earlier age of diagnosis in the African-American community or of individuals of African descent. So those are basically the risk factors that scientists have come across that have been linked to development of this particular condition. So now that we've talked about what is multiple myeloma and some of the risk factors, individuals may be wondering how it may present in the case of signs and symptoms. Individuals may have weakness, fatigue, increased bleeding and bruising, frequent infections, fractures of the bones, significant bone pain that may impact the most common areas such as the back, hips, skull, osteoporosis, which is another term for brittle bones. And if you have these issues where multiple myeloma impacts the the spine or the bones of the spine, you can develop what we call possible nerve impingement, where it basically causes compressions of nerves and develop what we call peripheral neuropathy, whether you have numbness, tingling sensation, or pain radiating down the legs and arms. You can have increased urination, excessive thirst as a result of some of these symptoms that may develop if you have multiple myeloma, dehydration, constipation, stomach pain, decreased appetite, some drowsiness and confusion. With the increased production of these cancerous cells can result in increased viscous blood, which is a term that means thickening of blood or thickness, which can result in confusion, dizziness, and some symptoms of stroke. Also, kidney failure early on without symptoms may present, but eventually weakness, shortness of breath, itching, and leg swelling can develop as the kidney failure progresses. Now, I want to make clear that just because you may have some of these symptoms doesn't necessarily mean that you have multiple myeloma, but it definitely should be considered and discussed with your primary care physician 
about some of the symptoms that you have so they can determine if it may be related to other medical conditions versus possibly multiple myeloma. But it's definitely something that if you develop majority or any of these symptoms that you feel free to bring this up to your primary care physician. Now let's transition to some of the clinical findings of multiple myeloma and how it's diagnosed. Now, as we previously discussed, plasma cells become cancerous and these cells are produced in the bone marrow. And so if there's an overgrowth of these cancerous cells within the bone marrow, and as I mentioned, this also houses other cells such as the red blood cells and your platelets and the other white blood cells such as your T cells. So if you have an issue where you have an overgrowth of these cells within the bone marrow and they suppress these other cells, then you can have the development of decreased red blood cells, which leads to what is better known as anemia. Then you have decrease of these platelets, which are involved in the clotting process. And you develop what we call thrombocytopenia, which may increase your risk of bleeding as well as bruising, which I mentioned earlier. And then you have these decreasing your white blood cells, which are your fighter cells. And if there's a decrease in these fighter cells, then you have increased risk of infection and things of that nature. In addition, the cells that are cancerous from multiple myeloma, the plasma cells that become cancerous and they produce these proteins. It also produces a substance that can interfere with keeping the bone strong. So these cancerous plasma cells produce some type of substance that impacts the cells that break down our old bone, which are the osteoclasts, as well as the, the cells that build up our bones, which are called the osteoblasts. And as a result, if you have these particular cancerous cells impacting the bones, then you develop these bone pain symptoms, as I mentioned earlier, as well as increased risk for fractures, as well as this overgrowth that I mentioned earlier, which is the thickening of the blood in the body, which increases your risk for development of those symptoms such as stroke, dizziness and confusion and things of that nature. So how is it diagnosed? Most of the time, Multiple myeloma is diagnosed at the advanced stages because earlier on, most individuals do not have symptoms, but may end up being diagnosed because of incidental findings, especially if you're going to your primary care doctor or a specialist on a routine basis, and it can be diagnosed through laboratory findings. But in the case of multiple myeloma is mostly diagnosed at an advanced stage of the disease. So... Blood tests, like I mentioned earlier, tests that are checked are your blood counts, which look at your red blood cells, white blood cells, your platelets, look at your kidney function, look at your electrolytes, such as like your calcium and your protein, as well as checking your urine for protein, which is, as I mentioned earlier, the plasma cells that are cancerous overproduce a particular antibody or an M protein or a monoclonal protein or the M spike protein. They go by different names. And the antibodies of one level are often more extremely elevated compared to another. So they'll be looking for a particular antibody, which is this overproduction of this protein produced by these cancerous cells. And most of the times individuals will have to see a specialist, which is a blood specialist, a hematologist slash oncologist, which is a cancer specialist to confirm the diagnosis in most cases through a bone marrow biopsy. And what is a bone marrow biopsy is basically a procedure where they most likely 
will do it as an outpatient, either at a specialist office or either at the hospital where the most common site is the pelvic bone where they check the bone marrow by getting a sample of the cells within the bone marrow to see if these myeloma cells are present. The other options of biopsy is the fine needle aspiration, which is a very thin needle, which is used to sample tissue from either a lymph node or a particular area that is a tumor. Finally, another biopsy option is the core biopsy, which uses a large needle and it has a tendency to take a larger tissue sample. But in most cases, as I mentioned, for multiple myeloma, the bone marrow biopsy is the most often used biopsy to diagnose multiple myeloma. But in the case of if you have a solid tumor or a lymph node involvement, then you may, or your specialist, I should say, may consider the other biopsy options. Now, imaging is used in the case of multiple myeloma in most cases, because as I mentioned, multiple myeloma can impact the bone. So bone or skeletal surveys are used to assess bone destruction. Then you may have the CT scan, which is another form of imaging to assess bone destruction as well, but often are used to assist with the guided biopsy to get a tissue sample as far as the procedures that I mentioned earlier to assess the tissue for these cancerous cells. So CT scan is often used to assist with that, as well as you have the MRI, which is the other form of imaging that can give you detailed images about the assessment of the bone marrow and things of that nature. Now that we've talked about the clinical findings, as well as the diagnosis of multiple myeloma, some individuals may be asking, okay, is there a way to prevent it? And there are very few cases that are linked to risk factors that can be avoided. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the most significant risk factors that can impact development of multiple myeloma is age. So we can't prevent the aging process as well as your race. So those are some significant risk factors. So there is no known prevention of this condition. Now let's transition to the management of multiple myeloma. There is no known cure for multiple myeloma, but there are treatments which will allow individuals to be symptom-free of the disease. So there are no surgeries that are typically needed for the management of multiple myeloma. It's very rare. However, the most common is systemic management, which basically means medications and supportive care. So in the case of multiple myeloma, patients are initially treated with two to three chemo drugs. In addition to chemotherapy, radiation therapy may be warranted, especially if the chemotherapy isn't as effective alone to assist with the killing of these cancerous cells. And then there's treatment for bone disease, especially if it's present where they use a medication or a group of drugs, which are called bisphosphonates, which help treat bone disease or maybe a potential preventative effort against brittle bones as it relates to the multiple myeloma breaking down or causing bone pain or breaking down your bones. There's also supportive treatments for the impact that multiple myeloma has on your blood cell count. So if it impacts your red blood cells, there's increased risk of anemia. Therefore, you may need multiple transfusions, I should say, 
to make sure that your red blood cell counts are up to normal. And if multiple myeloma impacts your white blood cells, there's increased risk of infection. So there may be a need for frequent antibiotic use to treat infections or even going to the extent of providing you with antibodies to fight off infection through a process or medication of immunoglobulins to treat infection. Now, there is a standard of care in addition to chemo treatment that has been used to treat majority of the cases of newly diagnosed patients if they qualify or meet the criteria, and that is for stem cell transplantation. And it's the most commonly used treatment for multiple myeloma after chemotherapy and radiation therapy management. And for those of you who may not know what stem cells are, stem cells are basically the precursor or cells that produce the other cells of the body. So the stem cell can either become a red blood cell, which produces those cells that go throughout the body to provide oxygen, as well as the white blood cells. It can produce the white blood cells, which go out and fight off infection within the body. Then these cells can also produce platelets, which are also important in the clotting process if there's any issue with bleeding. The stem cells produce the cells within the body. So after an individual goes through this high dose chemo management to destroy these cells within the bone marrow, as well as radiation therapy, there are two types of transplants that are available to these individuals. One is the autogolous transplant versus the allogeneic. Now the autogolous transplant is taking healthy stem cells from the patient themselves and using that and storing those particular cells and freezing those versus getting stem cells from a donor, which is the allogeneic type of stem cell transplantation, I should say, and storing those. And in the process of the transplant using the autogolous, which is basically using the patient's own stem cells and transplanting back, transplanting those back into the patient when needed, is typically recommended that they go undergo two autogolous transplants, typically six to 12 months apart. And with this type of transplantation, they call it a tandem transplantation when they go back to back like that with the two autogolous transplants. The risk of that, of course, is a lot riskier because you increase your risk of infection as well as bleeding. And that's the risk factor with the allogeneic transplant, which is from stem cells that are donated from another individual that are transplanted into the patient infected with multiple myeloma. In addition to the complications of infection and bleeding from stem cell transplant, now as it relates to the allogeneic stem cell transplant where you're getting donor stem cells and infusing those into the individual who has been treated appropriately with chemo and radiation therapy to provide them with healthy stem cells, the risk factor associated with that type of transplant is having a graft versus host disease. It's when these cells are infused into the individual and when it's infused it doesn't recognize this this person's body and as a result it begins attacking the body and then you have complications related to that where you can ultimately have damage to tissues and organs and it's called graft versus host disease so even though it's considered a standard of treatment these types of stem cell transplants do alone carry their own risk but for majority individuals, it has shown to improve their 
quality of life because they're able to live symptom free. But the only thing that I would have to state as well, even though individuals receive these transplants is not a cure for multiple myeloma because there's a risk. They'll also tell you this, especially the specialist, that there is a potential risk for this condition to come back after the transplant. So you have to weigh the risk versus the benefit in regards to treatment management. But I would like to say that there is maintenance therapy with chemo management. Even after the chemo radiation therapy, there is medication that the specialists continue to use, whether you undergo transplantation or not. But each treatment is designed around the specific type of disease that you have as it relates to muscle myeloma and the effects that it has on your body. Therefore, as it relates to the stem cell transplant, individuals typically ask, how long is this process? In most cases, the stem cell transplant often lasts about three weeks. And during this process, either individuals have to stay in the hospital for their for the duration or they could visit an outpatient clinic every day, but this is going to be decided by the patient, their caregiver, as well as the specialists that are involved in each individual's case. So when you're considering the stem cell transplant, you have to consider the impact that it will have on the caregivers and support of those individuals diagnosed with multiple myeloma. But the goal with the stem cell transplant is because these are considered healthy cells, that they go on to produce those different types of cells in the body, the red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets, so these individuals can be symptom-free. So before I wrap up this episode, I want to make sure that you're aware that for the show notes, I'll make sure that I insert the link for the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundations because they have excellent resources as it relates to the facts about multiple myeloma, the treatments, as well as just educational resources available to individuals, as well as for individuals that are diagnosed with multiple myeloma and support for the family of individuals diagnosed with multiple myeloma, they have patient navigator systems in place to help individuals learn more about their condition, how to navigate the treatment process, and have that additional support for family and friends. So I hope the information that I provided for this episode has been beneficial. Definitely feel free to share with friends and family. And again, this is your host, Dr. Dion. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe and feel free to tell your family and friends to check out the podcast. And remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and the thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice.